Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 244. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. These are incredibly perilous, dangerous, trying times. We're going to try to respond, react, improvise, adapt, and overcome as a show in any way that we can. So we're going to mix it up a little bit. I'm going to try to bring you content as quickly as I can that keeps you ahead of what's happening. In the military, we have QRFs quick reaction forces. I'm going to call this QRC, quick reaction content. I'll get you conversations and content as quickly as I can about the most important pressing issues facing our world so you can stay ahead of the curve. Not just talking about what's happening now, but talk about what's happening next. And we're kicking it off right now with a very special conversation with Department of Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. He's joined us on this show two other times, and he's back. I got him coming out of an event at Baltimore where he announced a new program for veterans just as the information continued to come out of Israel, including over a dozen Americans killed and some held hostage. We're going to talk to Pete Buttigieg about what's happening in Israel, what happens next, and whether the Department of Transportation is ready for a possible Hamas attack. I'll also ask him, how is life different now that he's a father? As we see these detestable, disgusting images coming out of Israel, it hits all of us especially hard when we see images of children. So Pete Buttigieg has been a voice of clarity, a voice of thoughtfulness, and a voice of strength. And whether you're an independent or a Democrat or a Republican, I think this is a conversation you need to hear. Here it is, my breaking conversation with Department of Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Coming in hot. Stay vigilant, America, especially now. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, these are some of the hottest, most trying, most perilous times we've ever seen. And I am very, very grateful uh, and, and humbled to have one of our best guests of all time returning to this show, a man who has a great perspective on everything happening in the world, uh, the great and powerful Pete Buttigieg is back on the program. Thank you so much for being back with us, sir. Hey, thanks for having me back on. It's good to see you. I know you're in Baltimore, and I want to get to what you're doing down there, uh, not far from our good friend, Governor Wes Moore, who's been a regular on the show. I know your kids are probably two now, so you're not getting a lot of sleep. Uh, I want to talk about um, General Kelly and the national security environment and what you're down there in Baltimore to talk about. But the priority subject is obviously Israel. Um, you've got a really nuanced understanding as one of the few post 9-11 veterans that serve in, in, in higher government and in the cabinet, um, immediate reactions on a macro level. And maybe I know that we're all seeing this unfold by the minute. Um, but what, what, what message do you have for the country, for people who are looking for clarity 
and and stability. And frankly, some folks are are just scared and nervous. Yeah. And you've always been a great voice of of calm and thoughtfulness. And I just want to give you a chance to to say what you think is most important. Well, thanks. I mean, I, I think it starts with recognizing we got to stick together and we got to stick with our friends. Uh, look, uh, what happened is horrifying: terrorist attacks by Hamas, uh, killing so many Israelis, and as we are learning. Uh, a substantial number of Americans as well, hostages who have been taken, just unthinkable and inexcusable violence and terror. And, uh, you know, I don't claim to be uh, an expert on the region, but, you know, spent enough time as, uh, as an officer working counterterrorism to have seen the, the logic that terrorists think that they can, uh, they can work within. Uh, to try to achieve their aims through violence. And uh, obviously, the, the Middle East has a, a long, dark, complex history. Uh, but also, what we're seeing here is unprecedented within that history. Uh, it, you know, as, as I've been speaking with uh, uh, the ambassador from Israel and, and my counterpart, the transportation minister there, about uh, certain priorities related to safe travel and, and, and uh, safely moving people in and out, uh, you know, they've talked about how in, in 50 years there, there has not been anything like this. One thing I really respect is, is how the president has led uh, not just the country, but uh, our allies. Uh, I thought the joint statement was really remarkable that came out from us and a number of other countries, uh, unequivocally and clearly condemning this terrorist activity. And by the way, uh, also making certain to, to recognize the importance of, uh, uh, of security and self-determination and the aspirations of Israelis and of Palestinians. Uh, for whom Hamas cannot be uh, uh, the, the the last word or, or, or uh, ultimate representative. Uh, so just a painful time with painful times to come. And I think a good time, uh, maybe less at a policy level, but at a personal level, to reach out to anyone in, in your life and for anybody to serve. That's an awful lot of people in our lives who have any connection, uh, uh, personal, family, uh, or emotional, uh, to the region, to uh, what's been going on. Uh, because it's going to be a time that just weighs on lots and lots of people for a long time. I think your voice is going to be so critical right now because it, it's trusted as someone who's thoughtful, who's sophisticated, who, who's able to communicate with many different audiences. And I think your your focus on the joy statement is 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 a smart one because that's such a hard thing to do. And and I feel like you know, for me as a 9/11 first responder, as an Iraq vet. I, you know, this is worse than 9-11 in some ways because it's got children involved, right? And now it's got hostages. And I, I remember after 9-11, the tremendous unity that we saw in this country and how we, how we had the whole world behind us. Israel's in that position now. How do they and the U.S. maximize that support and keep it in such a fragile, fragmented, divisive environment, not just overseas, but here in the U.S.? Well, terrorism is designed to stoke fear and hatred and bring out the worst in us. Uh, and uh, often what uh, what we experienced uh, after 9-11 was so many ways that it brought out the best in us uh, through that 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 uh, pain. Not uniformly. I mean, it, it did lead to a lot of uh, problems and mistakes and blunders within uh, the American policy world and, and, and within our country. But uh, it also pulled people together and motivated a whole generation uh, that, that, that you and I are part of to serve. Uh, created the terms for us to see our country and ourselves differently and bigger than we were. And uh, you know, I, I don't think it, it, it just doesn't seem right to talk in terms of silver linings when there's there's such uh, horrific violence here. But I do think all of us are called to think about how we respond to it, uh, whether it's those who are closest to it and dealing with it and whose lives are on the line in Israel. 
uh, or whether it's the, the rest of the global community or uh, an important ally and partner like the United States has has been for for such a long time. Uh, and I do think we need to uh, make sure we hold close to our own values uh, across this response. And again, to 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 be there for our friends at every step of the way. So as you do that, you're now in this critical role heading Department of Transportation. So everybody's running through, you know, their their checklists and their strategies and pulling battle plans off the shelf in response, as any cabinet secretary must do, I'm sure. But I think folks are going to be uniquely uh, concerned about public transportation as a target, uh, especially in places like New York and, and Washington, D.C. I know you can't disclose operational uh, information. I know this is an evolving situation, but can you talk generally about how you and the department approach this kind of a threat environment? Well, you know, historically, public transportation has unfortunately been a very frequent, almost uh, prototypical attack surface for terrorism. And that's true not only because you have a lot of people concentrated in one place, but also I think because uh, public transit or transportation is something people count on every day, and it lives in our minds as 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 uh, you know part of part of the basics, part of what we count on to be there. And uh, it, often it has a symbolic role in pulling a city uh, together. Uh, so all of those things are uh, you know at stake, in, in addition to the uh, key priority of physical security uh, that, that we all count on. Uh, we're going to do everything we can. We always do, uh, both at the policy level and working with our partners in uh, departments like Homeland Security to make sure the American traveling public is safe. By the way, uh, you know, uh, transportation in America, including on public transit and including air travel, uh, is exceptionally and historically safe. Uh, we're going to work to keep it that way and make it even more so. I know I'm one of many people who are going to be happy to have a, a combat veteran leading the agency in a time like this. And you and I have talked about that many times in your um, numerous appearances on, on this show. We had scheduled this conversation before Israel happened. My thanks to your team and to you for sticking with it and do that, doing that. While we're having this conversation, you know, our, our military has become kind of a political bullseye, especially for the extremists in the GOP. So as we're having this conversation, Tommy Tuberville continues to hold the promotions of hundreds of military generals. Um, we've got folks like Ron DeSantis and others, you know, really waging a political war against the Pentagon, saying it's too woke. Um, you know, last week we had a, a near shutdown that would have stopped payment for our troops. Um, we're in an environment where, you know, the, the, the DOD and VA are no longer like Switzerland. They're like a battlefield in this ongoing uh, political war. Can, can you talk about that? We've discussed it on this program quite a bit and focused on Tuberville specifically. But now that this has all come to bear, can you share your perspective on, on where we are uh, now that our political institution, our political, one political party in particular is focused on a Department of Defense? Yeah, it's, it's a good way to put it. I mean, uh, you know, the, the support for veterans and for the military was supposed to be the neutral ground that brought us all together. Uh, now it feels like military and veterans are caught in the crossfire. Uh, of the latest, uh, uh, the, the latest war here, or maybe more accurately, they're being shot at by uh, rhetorically uh, by the the, the very uh, voices who have styled themselves in the past as conservatives who are pro uh, pro military. And, you know, part of what this makes me think of is uh, some of the problems that happened a couple of generations ago, coming largely from the last, where you, you had a lot of Americans who were rightly horrified by policies around the Vietnam War, failing to draw the distinction between the way we view a policy and the treatment of the people who, uh, who were caught up in that policy set into war. Uh, and uh, now I think we have, uh, uh, you know, over the years, we, we got better as a country about that. I've been to some of the most 
um, moving things I participated in as mayor were belated ceremonies welcoming home Vietnam veterans who were not given that welcome home uh, when uh, when they first came back, even though uh, even though they should have been. Then we got through the 9-11 years where everybody rushed to uh, express and show support to the military. I think some did a better job than others of backing that up and 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 uh, and putting their money where their mouth is. But but um, but that was kind of the spirit of the time, and it is disturbing uh, now to see that that the military itself is being made a target for these ideological attacks. Whether it's one senator who uh, thinks that his particular opinions over an abortion-related policy are more important than. Know, having a, a chief of naval operations or, or other critically important military command positions, or whether it's this idea that that uh, you know people who can't even explain what woke is uh, are going to use that word as as a sort of excuse to to take a whack at, at our military and its leaders. Uh, and I think the most important thing in all of this is to uh, you know we can all have our political fights, but don't don't suck uh, the the troops into it. Don't suck veterans into it. They didn't sign up for that. They signed up for a hell of a lot. Uh, they signed up for more than enough. When they rose their right hand and, and put their name on the line, uh, they didn't sign up for being a political football. It's one of the, the few things that they, I think, can rightly expect to be immune to, even as they are willing to not be immune to the risk of being called up and and, and putting life and limb on the line. I, I want to stay focused on that for a second, if we can, because this is independent Americans. A lot of our folks are independents. They're not affiliated with a party. I think many of us have been frustrated with the Democrats because they don't hit hard enough. Somebody, you know, there have been a lot of folks calling for the, the resignation of Menendez and calling for the resignation of George Santos, and, and even some folks calling for the resignation of Bowen. And most of that is, is appropriate. But nobody's called for the resignation of Tommy Tuberville. It mm-hmm. seems like the Democrats are being really nice here. They're taking the high road and they haven't stopped this guy. So, can I ask you just straight up as a strategist, what can you do to stop this guy? Because it seems like nobody's, they're all crying about it and whining about it, but nobody's doing anything about it. Yeah. Look, I, I, you know, as long as I'm wearing wearing an executive branch suit, I've got to, you know, respect the 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 difference between us and the legislative branch. I think the solutions for this really have to come from within the Senate, uh, uh, or from the people who sent them to the Senate, right? Who I, I don't think you should have to be a, a, a Democrat or, or Republican or Independent to think this is this is pretty screwed up uh, that somebody thinks it's okay to to hold up those kinds of critically important appointments uh, to deny people the the command certainty that they need. Remember, this isn't just Yes, it affects somebody who's in line for their third star, their family's ready, and their bags are packed. But it also affects somebody nine steps down the chain of command who doesn't have the certainty and the uh, even if they don't even know the name of of, of the, uh, the the two or three star way up the uh, the chain, uh, they're affected by this, uh, and they deserve better. And they deserve better from from the senator and from their from their elected leaders generally. And, and every naval ship that's right now on the way to the Middle East or somehow activated is going to be impacted by these promotional holds. Um, sir, c- can you talk about General Kelly, General Milley specifically? Um, I want to give you a chance to respond, not just as a member of the cabinet, but as a veteran. Um, I've expressed my outrage. I think this is radical, reckless, uh, and, and damaging our national security to have a former commander-in-chief unloading on our uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Uh, and on our military leadership and, and on individuals specifically. We, we, we've covered it at length. I've spoken out a lot on it, but I want to just give you a chance to react, not just as a, a, a leader in government, but as a veteran yourself. How, how do you see this impacting and where does it go at a time when the former commander in chief is, is threatening the life of our chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? It's disgusting. Part of the reason I signed up to be part of the military was to defend democracy. 
part of the democracy we're defending is getting to live in a country where that kind of thing doesn't happen, where threats of political violence or that kind of talk, especially coming from somebody who is an elected leader, uh, not to mention one who didn't serve a day in his life talking about one of the uh, most decorated and accomplished military leaders of his generation. But, but uh, leaving aside that, just the, the fact that that took place goes against everything that we stand for, Democrat, Republican, independent, everything you stand for when you put your life on the line to, to keep this a democracy and not one of those countries, not one of those war zones that Americans sometimes get deployed to because they're so screwed up because they have things like this going on. Uh, it goes to the heart of who we are and what we are as a country, and uh, Americans deserve better. And obviously, I, I say that even if I uh, had had never crossed paths with uh, someone like General Lilly. As it happens, in very occasionally, I have found myself in in a uh, situation where we're meeting with him or some context with him, and he is a soldier's soldier's soldier. Uh, but again, it's not just that he personally deserves better, it's that America and the American military deserve better than to be talked about that way by anybody least of all somebody who once wore the title of commander-in-chief. I think this is a time when we're going to see what what veterans can do in, in all realms. I mean, obviously in the national security environment, but also in the political environment, we've long said they're not a charity, they're an investment. And then seeing you in office now is an example of how that investment can pay off. But you're also in Baltimore to talk about that kind of an investment from the department. So can you talk about this new grant program and why specifically you're in Baltimore today? Yeah, what we're doing is uh, we are making sure that uh, there is funding to help veterans get uh, uh, lucrative and needed careers uh, as truck drivers. Uh, this is uh, something that uh, really is is a, a a need being met and an opportunity. I think about the kind of guys I, I would uh, sometimes drive on the cobble to Bagram Highway with, definitely perfectly capable of safely operating an 18-wheeler uh, on I-95. Uh, but, you know, need to get through the certification to do it. And uh, we, uh, our country needs truck drivers. And there are a lot of veterans who need a good civilian career. And so what we're doing is we're using grant dollars, partnering with institutions like uh, Prince George Community College, uh, Lehigh Carbon Community College. Uh, my friend Patrick Murphy is deeply involved in this effort. Uh, a, a lot of people coming together to find ways to connect people to good jobs. And it turns out one slice of that uh, that we can actually directly fund with help from the Department of Transportation uh, is truck drivers. And it's a different kind of service. Uh, maybe it doesn't get celebrated the same way military service does. But I got to tell you, especially after this whole country learned all at once the hard way how important supply chains are a couple of years ago, um, that uh, uh, that we really need people in these critical jobs. We're about 80,000 drivers short from where we ought to be uh, as a country, as an economy. We're doing a lot about that, uh, make, make it a more rewarding career, uh, make sure that, uh, that it has the support and the quality of life and the compensation that it ought to have. Uh, but right now, there's good compensation in it for a lot of veterans who would make excellent drivers. We're helping them get, uh, get those CDLs and get that connection made. I just want to say hooray, because this has been something we've been pushing for two decades, I feel like, and, and now you're actually putting you know resources behind it, millions of dollars that'll make that possible. The CDL um, uh, barrier has been, has been a significant one for far too long, and this is frankly why it helps to have one of our own on the inside who can make it happen. There have been a lot of folks talking about it, but now you're making it happen. Um, you're also in, in Maryland, where another one of our own is making it happen, Mr. Wes Moore is on a is on a rocket ship politically. Uh, I, I know he wasn't with you uh, at that event, maybe because he's upset about his Baltimore Orioles. But uh, but the two of you represent this this amazing new generation that I think also has the ability to attract independence because of the way you talk about patriotism, about your focus on national security. Is there is there a future uh, where we could see the two of you running together on a ticket? 
Uh, you know, I, I won't, uh, I won't handicap any uh, future races or anything like that, but, uh, I'm, I'm really excited that, uh, Westmore is the governor here now. We're already working together on a lot of stuff. The way he thinks about service, uh, the way he thinks about leadership, uh, and, and the way he thinks about transportation to make it a little more, uh, a little more tactical. Uh, I think you're going to be a real benefit. Look, the, 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 the things that, that he's trying to lead and, and that so many states and communities are trying to do, they meet this moment where we got funding that we didn't have before to help the states get it done. Uh, but it still takes a partnership. We can't do it alone out of the federal side. Often states don't have the funding to do what they want to do. Uh, so whether it's getting East and West Baltimore better connected and opening up economic opportunity, uh, or whether it's multi-billion dollar visions for upgrading the uh, the tunnel passages on the Northeast Corridor that are uh, in Maryland that, that in some cases are 100 a- a plus years old. Uh, all of that stuff that we're working together on, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. And I do think there's something to be said for you know our, our generation uh, of uh, and our generation of people who are so involved in service to be involved in a, a different kind of service today. Well, you definitely are a power duo, and the Democrats would be smart to push you out in front and represent this new generation of leadership that brings energy and creativity and experience and toughness. You're also um, both dads. So final question, Mr. Secretary, I just want to ask you, the first time you came on the show, you didn't have kids, then you had young kids, now your kids are two years old. You know, I, I really do think you're a, you're a conscience for this country. You're someone who can talk to everyone about the moment. And I just want to ask you, you know, straight up as a parent of, of two young kids, a lot of parents are scared right now. They see what's happening in Washington. They see the dysfunction. It feels like, you know, we went through Trump, then we went through COVID, and then we went through Ukraine. Now we're going through Israel. It just never stops. So any lessons learned about how to communicate this environment to your children or just how to operate yourself as a parent in this kind of an environment? You know, parenting is the best, the hardest thing I've ever done. I mean, nothing, including combat training, uh, has kicked my ass as much as being a toddler dad. Um, but it's also uh, something that really changes your relationship to the future. You're not just thinking in abstract kind of academic terms about it. You're you're thinking about looking your kids in the eye one day when they're old enough to ask you, Dad, what did you do about these issues? What did you do to make sure the country was headed on the right track? What did you do to make sure the climate uh, was was one that I could thrive in? Uh, what did you do to make sure that, that I could afford to go to college? Um, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be asking some pretty pointed questions, as teenagers do. Luckily, I have a good 10 or 15 years before that's uh, in my face, and so I better use it well. <laughs> it motivates me to think about, all right, how do we set up a world uh, that they're going to thrive in. Another way I've heard to think about parenting is that you're training your replacement. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we better do right by them and make sure that we set them up for success. It's the, uh, the, the best and also most important verdict on a generation is how that generation set up the next one to thrive. I, I appreciate all that. And I'm grateful for all of it. Uh, you're not going to have till they turn to be teenagers. Mine's eight and four and they're already there. They're asking the hard questions. They want to know what's going on. And I know yours will, be, yours will be there as well, but I just want to thank you again for the integrity and for your example as a leader, not just for our generation of veterans, but for all Americans. You're somebody that our kids can look up to. You've always been that, the way you and your entire family carry yourself, the way your team carries themselves. Uh, I, I just want to thank you for your example and for your leadership and uh, congratulate you because we're going to need it now more than ever. Every time we think it gets uh, crazy. It gets crazier. And we're going to need you in the next couple of years more than ever. But thank you for all you do, sir. Appreciate so much time and uh, hope you'll join us again soon. Likewise, really appreciate everything you're doing to just be a voice for uh, uh, for those who served. And uh, uh, we've got a hell of a few years ahead of us as, as a country. So uh, uh, we need to keep, uh, keep those voices out there. Appreciate it. Absolutely, sir. Thank you very much. Stay vigilant. You too. 
If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and go check us out at independentamericans.us. That way you can get any QRC, quick reaction content, that we bring to you from independent Americans in these important days, weeks, and months to come. And of course, big shout out to our patrons and our Patreon community, the most righteous, that help us keep this content coming. Thanks to all of you. And you can join them at independentamericans.us. Stay vigilant, America. Powered by Righteous Media.